Okay, and uh going to be in chapter 22 today. I'm sorry that it's been <laughs> a couple of weeks since our last uh, look at the book of Job, but a lot of things have been getting in the way. Um, today's lesson is probably going to be pretty short because in chapter 22 of the book of Job, we're going to cover many of the same themes that we've seen before. Um, we're still looking at the, the three friends that are counseling Job and their worldview. You know, it says that doing good will always bring good and doing bad will always bring suffering. And uh, that's kind of where they're coming from. And for the three friends, those who do good can't suffer in the way that Job is suffering. And, you know, God would never allow such a thing to happen in their minds. And, you know, we've seen this theme so far in the book of Job repeated over and over again. And and now because Job has, uh, he's refuted their entire argument by, by just pointing out that reality um, defies what they are telling him. You know, he's, he told us that in the last chapter. Um, Eliphaz is going to, uh, he's going to just get downright nasty with Job. I can imagine this conversation uh, escalating and, and as tempers begin to flare and people getting louder and, and start, you know, they call each other names and you can just feel the tension um getting thicker and thicker as the conversation goes on and on. And, and we're coming close to the end uh, of the three friends and Job's conversation here in probably four more chapters. He's going to, uh, Eliphaz is going to, he's going to let it all hang out. And he's just going to come out right out and say it. You know, he's going to come out and accuse Job of sin. Uh, no more is he going to play the uh, you know the theological philosophical games about you know a man who does this may do that and you know all those things he's just going to come right out and tell um, Job exactly what he thinks he's going to accuse Job he's going to condemn Job uh, but before he does that he wants to make sure that Job knows that God owes him nothing uh, Job has been up to this point. He's been continually calling for God to hear his case and to to come to his aid to judge between him and <clears throat> his friend's counsel. Um, Job has been all but begging God to show up and to tell him why this has happened in his life, and he wants an audience with God. And he is um, he's getting pretty tired of dealing with these so-called friends. So in verse one, it says, then Eliphaz, the Temanite answered and then said, can a man be profitable to God? Surely he who is wise is profitable to himself. He says, is, is it any pleasure to the almighty if you are in the right or is it gain to him? If you make your ways blameless, Eliphaz asking Job here, if he thinks that his goodness has earned something before God, uh, does he think he has the right to call God out on the carpet? Um, does he, you know, what, what makes him think he has the, the authority or the privilege or the, or the right to call God uh, to have an audience with him? Um, what, what has he done so good that he's placed God in his debt? Uh, that's kind of what Eliphaz is asking. Uh, he also tells him that the man who thinks he's wise um, only profits himself. You know, what's he, what he's implying here in this whole section is that Job is being prideful and demanding vindication from God. Now, from Eliphaz's point of view, 
this is an egregious sin on Job's part. Uh, because Eliphaz is sure that Job is a wretched, evil sinner. So he doesn't give a thought to the fact that Job might be a righteous man, just as he's claiming, uh, who in fact is suffering. For Eliphaz, Job must be a sinner. And for a sinner to call for a holy God to vindicate him, oh, that's the height of pride and hubris. I mean, who in the world does Job think he is? So Eliphaz is operating out of the worldview that he possesses. He's operating and his thought processes are coming from um, a, uh, a matrix that he's built which says that God only allows suffering for the wicked people and the good people um, are always blessed and spared of suffering. Um, it, it, it almost seems like the very thought of Job's attitude is ticking Eliphaz off. Uh, he continues in verse 4, he says, Is it for your fear of him that he reproves you and enters into judgment with you? Is not your evil abundant? There is no end to your iniquities. For Eliphaz, Job's argument is it, just stupid. He, he asks him, um, you know, if Job thinks God is punishing him because he's so good. I mean, if you're so good, why are you suffering? You know, why are you going through all this if you're such a good man? Why would God do such a thing? He He's obviously being punished uh, because of the great evil he's done. This is what Eliphaz thinks. Um, he's, uh, Eliphaz is, he, he's, he's through beating around the bush. He's done trying to convince Job and lead the conversation so Job will realize that he's done something wrong. He, he just comes right out and says what he's thinking. He tells Job, you know what? You're evil. Your evil is abundant, and there is no end to your iniquities. This is why you're being punished, and this is why God is not listening to you. You are the most wretched sinner on the planet. This is what Eliphaz would want Job, would want Job to hear. You must have done so much wrong that God's angry enough to pour out all his hatred and wrath on you. Um, for him to say in verse 5, he says, Isn't your evil abundant and there is no end to your iniquities? Those are some pretty harsh words. Um, Eliphaz, has he, he's had about enough of all this talking and going around in circles with Job. Uh, he's tired of Job acting all innocent. And, uh, you know, it's time for Job to hear some truth or what Eliphaz thinks is truth. Um, he's already told Job that there is no end to his wickedness, but that isn't the end of his condemnation of Job. Uh, Eliphaz, uh, he isn't going to just uh, just leave it as a general condemnation. He's going to get downright specific and start spelling out exactly the kinds of things that Job has done, or what he thinks Job has done. <clears throat> In verse six, he says, "For you have he's 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 uh, accusing Job here. He says, for you have exacted pledges of your brothers for nothing, and stripped the naked of their clothing. You have given no water to the weary to drink, and you have withheld bread from the hungry. The man with power possessed the land, and and the favored man lived in it. He's talking about Job there. You have sent widows away empty, and the arms of the father the fatherless." were crushed. Eliphaz, here he's charging Job with all these sins, all these things that, uh, I mean, these are specific things. He's turned away the, the widows and, the, and the, the orphans, you know, two, two groups in the New Testament that God specifically condemns uh, people for mistreating, the widows and the orphans. Um, 
these are things that Job supposedly committed in in Eliphaz's view. Now, of course, we know that Job, you know, he's not done these things because God has called him a righteous man who keeps his ways. Um, And if he had done those things in the past, uh, we know that he was trusting in God and in the sacrifices that he had made to uh, cover those sins. Uh, But these men knew that Job was one of the greatest men in the East. They knew he was rich. Uh, He had a thriving business, a family. Uh, Job, you know, I bet Job must have used his power and authority for ill-gotten gains. He, in reality, Eliphaz probably doesn't know any more about Job's activities than we do. Uh, But his worldview demands that Job must have done some great evil. He is suffering greater than any other man, so he must have lived a life more sinful than all others. Job can't be suffering for no reason. So these must be the reasons for his suffering. And, and, and we try to do that as well. When we come across suffering or when suffering happens to us, we, we try to find the cause. You know, what, what set this off? What have, what have I done wrong? Why am I being punished? When, um, you know, in, in, the rea- in reality, for a child of, of Christ, for a, a son of God, someone who's been born again, uh, there is no punishment for sin. There there may be discipline. There may be a, a chastisement and a, a bringing back uh, toward the path of righteousness. And God may use suffering to do that, absolutely. But Jesus Christ took the punishment for sin. There is no more punishment for the believer's sin. So Eliphaz pins the cause of Job's suffering on these sins, you know, these things he's done. He's abused his power and his authority. He's been greedy, selfish, you know, all those things. In verse 10, Eliphaz says, Therefore, for this reason, all these things you've done, snares are all around you, and sudden terror overwhelms you. This is why all this is happening to you. Uh, Or darkness so that you cannot see, and a flood of water covers you. Job is suffering, and the snares have trapped him. Only sin brings suffering like Job is going through, so Eliphaz says. So the only possible reason Job can be going through all this is because of the greatness and magnitude of his sin. In fact, um, Eliphaz is basically going to call Job stupid uh, for not understanding all this and, and stubborn for not accepting correction about it. Uh, by Eliphaz's account, he is piling sin on top of sin by refusing to accept the truth of his situation and calling God to account for what's happening to him. Um, and here, we need to make sure that we see that Eliphaz is treading on very dangerous ground. Uh, he is claiming to have definite knowledge of what God is doing in Job's life, and he's putting a command on Job's shoulders that God has not given Uh, He is speaking things that God has not spoken, and he is expressing an authority that he doesn't possess. Um, This is very, very dangerous for anyone who does it. God, uh, he's given us his word, and that word and that word alone is authoritative. Uh, When we add to it, take away from it, reinterpret it, you know... uh, you know, when we misinterpret it according to our traditions and our preconceptions, we become a false prophet and a false spokesman, spokesman for God. Um, and there isn't anything more condemned in Scripture uh, than doing that. Eliphaz, he is um, he's teetering dangerously close to, if not already surpassed, the, the point where he is telling Job, 
what God thinks, and he is completely wrong about it. Uh, God has told Job, God has told mankind that uh, atonement for sin is found in sacrifice. At this, at this point, um, the sacrifices were animal sacrifices that pointed toward the coming fulfillment of the Son of God who would make the ultimate and once for all sacrifice. But um, Job was holding fast to his faith that said, I am justified because of the atonement that God has provided through his grace. And by holding fast to that faith, Eliphaz and his friends uh, began to condemn Job all the more. And you see the same thing today. Uh, When things happen in our lives, things go on, you know, I mean, we're all going to enter into some sort of suffering uh, at one time or another. And there's nothing that shakes our faith more than suffering, uh, no matter what it is, no matter what the situation is. And the example we have in Job is not just um, it's not just uh, hold on to your righteousness and you know trust that everything's going to be okay. The example in Job we have is that we have faith that God's word is going to hold true. God promised us redemption and justification in His Son. And He's given it. But we still live in this world and we're still going to go through suffering, still going to go through heartache, and those things are coming, uh, even for those who have been justified. Job is is saying the same thing. He's saying, I've been justified. I've received the grace of God by the sacrifices that I've made, by the faith that I've put in uh, to what God has told me to do, what God has said, and he refuses to back off of those things. Eliphaz continues, um, he's going to continue this misinformed condemnation of Job. He's going to claim that Job's situation is not unknown to God. Uh, Job has claimed that God won't answer him. We saw that before. And that God is elusive when Job calls him to hear his case. So Eliphaz's response to that in verse 12, he says, Is not God high in the heavens? See the highest stars, how lofty they are. But you say, what does God know? Can he judge through the deep darkness? Thick clouds veil him so that he does not see, and he walks on the vault of heaven. God is above all things, says Eliphaz. He's looking down from the lofty stars how in the world can you think that god doesn't know what's going on how can you say that god can't see through the great darkness of the clouds i mean that's just ridiculous job god knows exactly what's going on with you in fact he can't not know if he's god it's impossible for him not to know he is God. And if this is happening, it's because God has commanded it to happen. And now we know all this is true, but the way Eliphaz is putting it is you have to be an evil man for God to have allowed this. And you cannot call God to adjudicate your case thinking that somehow he's unaware of all this going on. Uh, You need to realize the fact that God is angry with you and he has had enough of your sin. You must stop all this complaining and demanding an audience with God. He doesn't want to talk to you. Now, can you imagine giving a suffering person that kind of advice as a hospital chaplain i can tell you um, you wouldn't last long Uh, you'd probably be thrown out the first day Um, but eliphaz he's given us the heart of what he thinks job's problem is 
And uh, whether whether he knows it or not, you know, we know that he has no idea what he's talking about. But if you put it in our context, when you come across a person that's suffering, um, you have no idea what's going on, what God is doing in the heavens in their lives. Um, now, if they, you know, if they deny Christ, if they deny um, the salvation that God offers, then you know immediately that that's that's the place where we should start. Um, but to say. You know, to say that, uh, you know, God's punishing you for your sin, you don't know that for sure. Some of the greatest, I'm reminded of uh, one man, he was a a non-believer, he got throat cancer, and this cancer almost killed him. I mean, almost to the point where he was, uh, I mean, down to skin and bones, it was, he's not going to make it through the night. Uh, is what the the doctors said, and uh, of course he he ended up coming back from that, and it was that sickness, it was that that sickness that brought him to the Lord, and it was through that that and through the love of a uh, a person that was coming and visiting with him and sharing the gospel with him that he came to know Christ, and today he's healthy and he's you know happy, he's living a normal life, and he's a he's a servant of God. Um, so God was using that to draw him to himself. So even if we're talking to non-believers, you can't take it for granted that, oh, God is just punishing you for your sin. He's just waiting. You know, you never know what God is doing. So what we do is we give the gospel. We do not sugarcoat the gospel. That's not what I'm saying. We do not tell lost people that they're okay with, with God. We don't, you know, I'm not saying that we drop the gospel, but we preach the gospel to them in love, knowing that uh, it's only by God's grace that we're not the ones sitting there in the hospital bed with cancer. It's only by God's grace that we're not the ones there going through this suffering. Um, and so Eliphaz, he's got the total wrong idea. He He's told us all about Job's wickedness and, he, and God's righteous justice in punishing him. Um, so what's Eliphaz's solution after he says all this? Does Eliphaz have a remedy for Job's plight? Uh, and of course, like any good counselor, Eliphaz does know what Job needs to do, or thinks he does anyway. Unfortunately, it's not the right solution. He tells Job that if he will just repent, God will stop all this punishment he's going through. Not only is this not correct in Job's case, in his particular case, but repentance doesn't mean that everything is roses from now on. Uh, listen to what it says. It says, in verse 15, Eliphaz says, Will you keep to the old way the wicked men have trod? Are you going to keep on going on like you're going, Job? Verse 16 says, They were snatched away before their time. Their foundation was washed away. They said to God, Depart from us. And what can the Almighty do to us? They're mocking God, basically. In verse 18, he says, Yet he filled their houses with, with good things, but the counsel of the wicked is far from me. Eliphaz asks, why in the world would you keep on the same path as all these other wicked men? Can't you see that those wicked men were snatched away before their time? As far as Eliphaz is concerned, Job is telling God, uh, you know, you just need to get lost. I, I reject your punishment. I reject your rebuke of me. He is equating Job and his attitude with those wicked men who ridicule God by saying, you know, what can he do to us? He knows 
He knows that these are, are wicked men, even if it is God himself who fills their houses with good things. He's saying, you know, Job, even if that's so, God knows that they're wicked and they'll get what's coming to them. They're uh, they're breathing God's air and receiving the blessings of life itself, but they still curse God and refuse to give him honor. Eliphaz is putting Job in the same category as these men. Then Eliphaz makes a prideful statement saying, I won't come near the counsel of the wicked. Even though Job is doing exactly what Eliphaz says the wicked do, but Eliphaz himself says he will have no part of it. So you see where... In, in, inherently, Eliphaz's counsel is putting Eliphaz um, above Job in the righteousness category. Uh, verse 19 says, The righteous see it and are glad. The innocent one mocks at them, saying, Surely our adversaries are cut off, and what they left the fire has consumed. The righteous men see the suffering of the wicked, and they rejoice, is what he's saying. The innocent man mock the suffering of the evil men. And this is where Eliphaz is. He is mocking the suffering of Job. So he's kind of making a case that, you know, I'm supposed to be up here mocking you. I'm supposed to be up here uh, getting down on you. I'm supposed to be up here telling you that you're wicked and and showing you the right ways because I'm innocent and I'm righteous. You see him, he's calling himself these things. And Eliphaz ends his diatribe by giving Job one last piece of advice. He says, verse 21, he tells Job, this is what you need to do. He says, agree with God and be at peace. Thereby good will come to you. Receive instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. If you remove injustice far from your tents. If you will just admit that you're wrong and those sacrifices you've been making have not covered your sins, God will relent of the suffering he has caused you and he will build your house and and your life back up. That's what Eliphaz is, is saying. He's saying if you'll remove all the injustice from your tent, um, God will remove all the suffering from you. Uh, for Eliphaz, Job just needs to repent, and God will restore all his stuff. Uh, can you imagine giving somebody this advice? All you have to do is repent, and all this ends. You won't suffer anymore. Your health will be restored. Your business will be restored. I mean, is that how God really works? Um, you know, of course, we know that repentance and faith in Christ gives man a... Uh, as it were, a blank slate with God, and he's forgiven of all his sin. Uh, But does that mean that all the consequences of sin disappear? Try that in a court of law after you steal someone's car. Just tell the judge that you found Jesus, and he should say, well, okay, well, then you're forgiven, and there'll be no consequences for what you've done. Uh, It doesn't work that way. Uh, Even if you get saved in jail, you still have to pay for what you've done. Consequences follow sin. But even in this case, we know that Job is not suffering because of his sin. He's suffering because God is testing him and bringing him closer uh, to himself. So Eliphaz is coming at Job uh, in two, three different directions, but each one of them is actually bad advice. It's wrongly applied, and it should be uh, disregarded by Job. In verse 24, it says, If you lay gold in the dust and gold of Ophir among the stones of the torrent bed, then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. He said, If you lay down your stuff, uh, God will be to you a precious thing. Verse 26 says, For then you will delight yourself in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. You will make your prayer to Him and He will hear you and you will pay your vows. You will decide on a matter and it will be established for you. And light will shine on your ways for when they are humbled... 
You say it is because of pride, but he saves the lowly. He delivers even the one who is not innocent, who will be delivered through the cleanness of your hands. Now, Eliphaz's final word to Job is to tell him how good God will be to him if he will just repent and turn away from his wickedness. Now remember, what he's talking about here is Job holding on to the fact that the sacrifices have covered his sin, that his faith in God is what is required. Uh, So it's really not, when I say that if you just turn away from your sin, God will bless you, uh, in a sense, that's, that's correct advice. But what Eliphaz is calling sin here, Job is calling faith. Uh, but even here, Eliphaz gives a backhanded slap to Job. He says that that God even delivers the one who is innocent. He is saying that there's no way Job is innocent, but God will even deliver the one who is not innocent. In essence, Eliphaz, he's telling Job not to worry, because even though you're a wretched, miserable sinner, worse than all other men, if you would just make your prayer to God and repent, then he'll hear you and he'll forgive even you, Job. Um, wow. It's easy, to, it's easy to imagine the frustration on both sides of this argument. On the one hand, Job's getting more and more frustrated that his friends simply won't listen to him. They're not listening to a word he's saying. They won't give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, but at the same time, his friends are getting upset that Job's entire argument is threatening their worldview, and it seems to make God uh, to be an unjust monster. Um, now, of, of course, we know that this isn't true, but we should see how easy it is to misinterpret God when we're counseling or being counseled. Um, God has given us his perfect, infallible word. And when we deviate from it in any way, shape or form, nothing good can come of it. Job was given a promise, as we all were. The promise was that if he would have faith. If he would repent and make the necessary sacrifices the Lord commanded, which pointed toward the true sacrifice in his son, then all his sin would be covered and he would be forgiven. Now, Job is floundering around in the midst of suffering, and and he can't explain why he's going through all this. He doesn't know why. He doesn't know what God's doing or what he's been doing and to bring all this upon him. All he has is the promise. All he has is the faith that God told him those sacrifices which pointed to Christ would cover his sin. We know they point to Christ, but for him they were sacrifices. That's all he knows. Here were his friends telling him that that isn't true. They're telling him God requires something else of him. He has not been found innocent in God's sight, and he must work you know, to get back into God's graces. Now that sounds like decent advice to a person in the midst of suffering. But we know that it's the oldest lie known to man. Job will either give in and try to regain his blessing through working, or he will hold fast, trusting the promises of God who gave forgiveness in the first place. And as Christians, we have the same choice when we're going through suffering. You can either doubt and cry out wondering what God's doing to you, uh, wondering what God wants you to do to fix the situation, how you can work to get back into God's graces, or you can... You can, I mean, well, you can also doubt whether God truly sees you as his beloved son in Jesus Christ. Um, or, or you can hold fast to the promises God has made through his son, understanding that, you know, no matter what circumstance enters your life, God has given us his mercy and his favor in the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. That is the only thing that is required for justification before God. That's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, our repentance, 
and our faith in that resurrection. And no matter what comes our way, what suffering, what tragedy, what heartache, and those things will come in this life, we don't say, what do I have to do in order to get back into your good graces, God? We know that because of what Jesus did, we remain in his good graces, and we live in this fallen world in which suffering comes, and we take it in stride, knowing that God will be faithful to his word always. There will never be a time when God will renege on his word.